Acts chapter 1, if you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, we're going to be camping out specifically at verse 8, um, uh, so Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is where we're going to get to eventually um, after I've just shared a few things. On Friday night, um, a small group of us went to the Grand Park Music Festival that's happening through the city. Uh, if you don't know about it, get, go online, it is absolutely outstanding. But Friday night, um, the concert that was on was celebrating the music of John Williams, And if you don't know who John Williams is, he is, um, without a doubt, the most prolific music composer of our day. Um, He has composed the theme songs of pretty much your favorite movie, I can can guarantee it. I mean, everything from E.T. to Close Encounters to Jaws to the Harry Potter movies to the Star Wars movies to the Indiana Jones movies. I mean, just this endless array. And... um, at the start of, uh, you know, of the concert, I didn't have a program with me, so I wasn't sure which songs were going to be played from which movies. So it was kind of fun to kind of play along, and as the music started, you would kind of see who could be the first person to guess. So I've got a little excerpt. If, Cade, you can play the first one, this is one of the songs that was played that night. You all know what that one was. Indiana Jones, of course. Harry Potter, no, Indiana Jones. There was one song that we refused to leave. We had to leave early, but we refused to leave until, for us, the highlights of the night was this next song, which uh, I want No, next one. No, that was not Harry Potter. <laughs> so it was, it was such fun. It was awesome, like having these songs played and, um, and trying to guess what the, song, what the songs were, which, which movie they represented. But I'm sure you can probably kind of relate to this. It wasn't the same as watching the movie. I mean, that Imperial March is impressive. I mean, you can picture Darth Vader walking in with his kind of black robe flowing in the, in the breeze, but it doesn't do the same without actually hearing the music and seeing Darth Vader walking onto the screen. I want you to think for a moment if we flip the script, excuse the pun, but if we, if we flip the script and imagine watching Star Wars without the corresponding music. So imagine the the, the, the cargo hold or the cargo bay of, the, of, the, um, of that, uh, what's that big? Death Star. Death Star, thank you. The cargo hold of the, of the Death Star and it's absolute silence and Darth Vader walks in with his robe flowing and all you can hear is the click of his heels from his black boots on the polished steel floor without any music at all. It's just not the same experience. You're not meant to experience a movie visually without the audio as well. And the point I'm trying to make in all of this is to say, I think that's the reality when it comes to understanding God's word. We can know God's word and we can read God's word and we can believe in God's word, but if God's word is not accompanied with the power of God, it's just not the right thing. It's just not how it's meant to be. We don't experience the fullness of God by only knowing God intellectually. We're meant to experience God by the move and power of his Holy Spirit. 
So knowing his word must be accompanied by the experience of, his, of, of the Holy Spirit. And knowing the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, must be accompanied by the safety and the security that comes with, with knowing that God's word sets the, the banks of the river in place. The writer to the Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 4. He says, the word of God is living and active. Jesus in Mark chapter 12 rebukes the Sadducees because he says to them, you are in error because you do not know the word of God or the power of God. I, I believe this to be true, that we cannot hope to ever see a dying world changed by offering them a lifeless Christianity, especially a Christianity that is shaped and formed by our own preferences and our own traditions that don't line up with the truth of God's word. And so with that in mind, I am introducing this morning the first of a, of a 10-part series, which is going to take some time, 10 weeks, to, to look at what does God's Word teach us about the ministry and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit through the bride of Christ Jesus. Yeah, we, we, are, we are called to, to minister into, into the world, bringing God's word and, and seeing the power of the Holy Spirit released. As James mentioned, the series is called Eagerly Desired, God's Gifts, God's People, God's Design. And it's built around uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says these, he, he says these words, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Sometimes we can read the words, follow the way of love, and we can, we can kind of uh, uh, dilute the, 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 the impact that Paul is wanting to have, dilute the, the strength with which Paul is trying to exhort us. Follow the way of love is, is not just Paul reminding us to be good, kind, nice Christian people. Paul is exhorting us to live according to the truths of God's word. Jesus teaches very clearly that, that love, love for God and love for one another is the summary of all of the teachings of Scripture. And so therefore, for the gifts of God, the gifts of the Spirit, to, to function most effectively and to be most fruitful, it needs to be done in the context of love. We're going to spend some time looking at this, but Paul needed to write this particular point. Paul needed to stress the importance of love. Because if you know the book of Corinth, if you, if, if you know the book of First and Second Corinthians, it's very clear that this church was able to do amazing things for God with little or even no love in their heart for God or for, or, or for people. And that's, a, that's a bit of a mystery, I know, but that's what we clearly see in First in, in Corinthians. And so within this context of love, Paul exhorts the church, Paul exhorts us to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, to, to, to zealously and earnestly go after the spiritual gifts. Can I remind us, this is important to remember, but the life of a New Testament believer is a life lived in and by the Spirit of God. The life of a New Testament believer is a life that is lived in and by the Spirit of God. The Bible teaches that we are born again by the Spirit in John chapter 3. We are led by the Spirit, Romans 8. We are taught by the Spirit, John chapter 14, we are empowered by the Spirit, Acts chapter 4. We are taught to pray in the Spirit and, and with the Spirit's help, Romans chapter 8. By the Spirit, our identity is sealed in Christ, Ephesians chapter 4. And by the Spirit, as I've said in 1 Corinthians 14, we are, we are given spiritual gifts that we need to eagerly desire and eagerly go after. 
So over the next 10 weeks, we're going to ask and answer some questions. We're going to learn about the gifts. We're going to learn about the gifts the Father gives us. We're going to learn about the gifts that Jesus the Son gives us. We're going to learn about the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. We're going to learn how these gifts best function. What is the context or what is the environment to see these gifts function best? We're going to learn about the environment or the realm of faith, how we are called to trust and believe for the impossible. We sang that song this morning, you are the God of miracles. God is a God of miracles. And we're going to learn how to trust to see the miraculous become more and more part of our life, but also the context of love. Paul writes, this is the most excellent way. Can I say, friends, we can't be so enamored with the power of God that we forget the importance of loving God and loving others. Nancy's going to preach on that in a few weeks, and it is such an important point. Jesus says the summary of all of Scripture is bound up in that, in that commandment, to love God and to love others. Sometimes we can make the mistake of thinking that spiritual gifts are a sign of maturity, and they're not. We're going to learn that the sign of maturity, the way that we know we're becoming more like Jesus, is actually the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. We're going to learn about the fact that Jesus has given us the gift and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in order to empower us to reach the lost. And then on the last Sunday of the series, in the early part of September, we're going to learn about what actually is Jesus building on this side of, of eternity. What is Jesus up to on the planet? And that is he is building his church. Places where his spirit dwells. Communities of God's presence. Outposts of heaven. Places where God's people gather, and I love this definition, a friend of mine defines the church as this, the place where God's people gather and where God is present and in the habit of doing extraordinary things in great power. I love that definition of the church because that's what we want to be. We want to be this community where God is present and in the habit of doing extraordinary things in great power. So where are we going to start today? Well, we're going to start with a quote from West Wing. West Wing is probably my all-time favorite uh, TV series. Now, I'm probably going to show my age a little bit, but West Wing was a political drama that NBC aired in the late 1990s, early 2000s. Um, it's on Netflix. It is a great binge-watch uh, series if you ever want to kind of spend a, a, a waste of a Saturday and it's raining, watch West Wing. Absolutely amazing. The two central characters in West Wing, and this is the reason why we love it, is Debs loves good characters in, 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 in the movie. Martin Sheen plays the, plays the president, and I know my wife has at times said Martin Sheen for president, like really, like in the US. Uh, um, if you ever watch Blue Bloods, uh, Tom Selleck, is the commissioner of uh, Blue Bloods on, on this TV show, and Debs was desiring for him to run for our uh, uh, city's police commissioner when it was up for, for grabs a couple of years ago. But that, I, I, I digress. Leo McGarry is the Secretary of State, and he's a close friend with the president, Jeb Bartlett. And once Jeb Bartlett is, is voted into, into office, they're standing in the scene in West Wing, they're standing in the Oval Office for the very first time. And Leo McGarry turns to Jeb Bartlett and, and, as I say, close friends, and he says, he says, what do you want me to call you when, I'm in, when, you, when, when we are in the Oval Office? Do you want me to call you Jeb, or do you want me to call you Mr. President? And Jeb Bartlett thinks for a moment, and then he says, 
I want you to call me Mr. President because I don't ever want to forget where I am or who I represent. I love that. I don't ever want to forget where I am and who I represent. And I think sometimes, if you're anything like me, there are times in our walk with God that we can forget those very two things. We can forget where we are and who we represent. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are in Christ. We have access to the very presence of the creator of the heavens and the earth at any time. We can come boldly into his presence simply because of what Jesus has done. And secondly, who do we represent? We represent Jesus this side of eternity. Jesus, when he spent 33 years here on earth, began his earthly ministry of extending and advancing the kingdom of God. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, he left the Holy Spirit to anoint his people so that you and I, as his representatives, can continue the work of ministry that he started. Because we are born of God and because we are in Christ, we, uh, we bear, we carry something of the likeness of Jesus. We are filled with his presence. We are filled with, with, with the Holy Spirit that represents the person of Jesus. We are being shaped into the image of God. And so what I want to talk to you about this morning is simply the privilege, the, the incredible privilege we have to live a life that is empowered by the Spirit of God to live a life as, as sons and daughters of, the, of our Heavenly Father, what does it mean to live a life that is empowered by the Spirit of God? And we're gonna take some time to, to unpack Acts chapter one, verse eight. I've heard people say that Acts chapter one, verse eight is the lens through which the book of Acts needs to be read. But I would actually go one step further and suggest that Acts chapter one, verse eight is actually the lens through which we best understand the entire New Testament. Jesus has, 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 has been raised from the dead, and the, the early verses in, in Acts chapter 1 tell us that he takes 40 days to, to spend time with his disciples, to, to teach them about the kingdom of God. And in verse 5 of Acts chapter 1, he gives them this specific instruction. He says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, the disciples were was struggling to grasp the incredible implications of what Jesus was saying. They thought Jesus was referring just to the nation of Israel. They, they thought Jesus was returning to be the king of the nation of Israel. And in verse seven and eight, Jesus responds to his disciples. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, listen, you're asking the wrong question. Don't ask when is the kingdom coming. Only the Father in heaven knows that. The question you need to ask is, how will the kingdom of heaven come to earth? And this is the answer Jesus gives in verse 8. He's answering the correct question that should have been asked. How will the kingdom of heaven come to earth? Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He starts off by saying, you will receive power. Not you will earn power or you deserve power, but you will receive power. I'm convinced that sometimes 
So many Christians, and at times I feel like I, I put myself into this category. Sometimes we, 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 we sometimes think that the presence and the power of the living God manifested in us and through us by the person of the Holy Spirit is something that we either have to earn or something that we have to deserve or, or, or that some people deserve. Sometimes we have the attitude of, I'm just not holy enough. I'm just not righteous enough. My life is not, is not enough in line with Jesus. To which I would say to you, how much is enough? At what point, if that is your argument, at what point are you holy enough? At what point are you more in line with Jesus than, than, than previously to deserve the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Some people think, well, because I'm not called to full-time ministry, then I don't really deserve the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I could spend a whole series teaching on the fact that every one of us are called to full-time ministry. The only difference is who pays your salary. Every single person in this room is called to represent Jesus here on earth. Second Peter chapter 1 tells us, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Can you think of one thing, one thing in your life right now? Think of one thing you have to do as part of your life as a, as a, as a business person, as a mother, as a friend, as a person who goes to college, whatever your life circumstances, think of one thing that you have to do because of, of, of your job or, or your position in life. Second Peter chapter one, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. You know, I was challenged this week to take out the trash under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know that sounds silly, friends, but to wash the dishes under the power of the Holy Spirit and to parent my children under the power of the Holy Spirit and to be a friend by the power of the Holy Spirit and to preach the word by the power of the Holy Spirit. But so often we think only those people who stand on this stage have access to the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, can, I wanna tell you that's not the case. We receive the Holy Spirit purely and simply as a gift from the Father. Luke chapter 11 tells us this. Jesus is teaching a parable to his disciples. Which of you, of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will scare him with a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will trick him by giving, him, by giving a scorpion? If you then know that you are evil, but know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see, what Jesus is driving home, friends, is the reason why we can ask God the Father for the free gift of the Holy Spirit is not because we, can, we earn it or we deserve it, but because we are His child by virtue of being in Jesus. And a gift is exactly that. It's a gift. Not earned, not deserved. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter one. He says, God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's a gift from the Father. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Acts chapter one verse eight continues. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When Jesus told his disciples 
that they needed to wait for the, for the promise of the Holy Spirit, those disciples had some understanding or some context to what Jesus was, was, was speaking about. They were familiar with the Old Testament. They were good Jewish boys. They, they understood their Old Testament. They knew the, the accounts, the endless accounts of men like Gideon who, 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 were, who were empowered by the Spirit of God coming upon them or, or Samson who was clothed with power from on, on high and was given supernatural strength or yeah, supernatural strength. Uh, uh, ordinary people transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to do the things that God had specifically instructed them to do. The disciples would have known about the, the, the prophetic promises spoken of in the Old Testament that point to a time when, as Joel says, a day will come when God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. Or in the book of Isaiah, where, where Isaiah prophesies of a time where the Spirit of God will not just be poured out like a trickle, but a deluge and an, and a, and an incredible, massive monsoon outpouring of the Holy Spirit is one day to come. The disciples would have also been very aware of Jesus' ministry and Jesus' personal testimony of needing to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, sometimes we forget this. Jesus was incredibly devout. He loved his Father. Jesus, the Bible tells us, grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God the Father and with people. Jesus knew his calling And he prepared himself completely to fulfill the call of God on his life. But Jesus' devoutness and Jesus' relationship with his Father and Jesus' work to prepare himself and position himself to be used by the Father was not enough for Jesus to begin his earthly ministry. When he was 30 years old, Jesus needed to be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do what he was called to do. In Luke chapter 3, it tells us that very moment. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, that speaks of being baptized in water, and while he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with, with you I am well pleased. And from that moment, Jesus begins his ministry led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 4 verse 1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned to the Jordan where he was led by the Spirit into the desert. And then in verse 14, it says, after he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he goes to the synagogue and opens up the scroll to the place that we know to be Isaiah 61, and he says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach good news. Friends, I I, want to drive this point home. If Jesus needed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to do the work that he was called to do, how much more do we need the outpouring and power of the Holy Spirit to do what God has called us to do? The disciples themselves were an incredible exhibit of the outpouring and the need of the Holy Spirit. Think of how the Gospels describe the disciples. They were were boastful and proud. They celebrated the fact that demons listened to them. Jesus called them faithless when they weren't able to cast the demon out of the young boy. They were competitive with each other, 
trying to get the best seat in heaven. They were slow to learn. They fell asleep when Jesus needed them most. They abandoned Jesus and Jesus' best friend, Peter. At a moment when a young girl, a young servant girl, asks whether he's a follower of Jesus, he didn't have the courage to stand up for his Savior and King. And to this ragtag group of, of misfits, Jesus entrusts the ministry of the church. Jesus entrusts the future of the church to this group. But once the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were completely transformed. Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2 that incredible uh, a message at Pentecost where, where 3,000 people were added to their number. Acts chapter 3, Peter was walking to the synagogue and they come across that, that beggar. And Peter says to him, look at me. The man looks at him. Silver and gold I do not have, Peter says. But that which I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And this man is miraculously healed. A crowd of people gather around. And then Peter starts with these words in Acts chapter 3. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man work? Can I return us back to the issue of holiness Am I holy enough to receive the Holy Spirit? Peter is saying right there, why are you looking at us? We didn't make this man walk because we are godly or because we are holy. No, it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit enabling us to do what God has called us to do. Friends, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the being plunged into the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit from on high, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, being sealed with the Holy Spirit, whatever phrasing the Bible uses, describes the moment, the opportunity, the privilege that we have as New Testament believers to be empowered to receive supernatural power from the Holy Spirit as He comes upon us. To be baptized in water simply means to be submersed or plunged into water. And that's the picture we need to have in our minds when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We are baptized, we are plunged into the person of the Holy Spirit. But you see, here's the problem that I think so many of us make. So many of us reduce the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to the opportunity that we have to get a spiritual drink of water when we are thirsty. I'm feeling parched in my, in my spirit. So I, I come before God to ask that he would quench my thirst. And the problem with that, friends, is we reduce the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to an Old Testament moment when people were momentarily filled with the Holy Spirit for a particular period of time. Jesus never promised to quench our thirst. Jesus said, I'm not going to give you a drink of water. I'm going to give you the well of water, which will reside in your hearts and will rise up like, like a spring, giving you the experience of eternal life. Friends, Jesus hasn't just given you a cup of water. He's given you the well of life by the person of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 4, he tells that to, to one of his, um, to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. 
you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then Jesus goes on to say, and you will be my witnesses. Friends, we are not just baptized in the Holy Spirit to enjoy moments of, of refreshing and moments of laughter as important and as valuable as, it, as that is. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be refreshed so that we can be witnesses to the world. We are testifying to the fact that Jesus is alive. We are testifying to the fact that by the Holy Spirit, we have found purpose in our life, and that purpose comes by knowing our position in Jesus. I love the fact that being filled with the Holy Spirit enables us to operate in supernatural power. I love the fact that we get access to gifts of prophecy and gifts of healing and words of knowledge. I love the fact that we receive boldness to preach the gospel and to worship God extravagantly, all of which are found in the Word of God. But for me, the primary experience or, or result or consequence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we have the experience, the testimony, that we are children of God. We are in Jesus. Jesus knew he was the Son of God. And when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he was able to hear the voice of the Father. This is my Son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Romans 8, by the spirit of adoption, we cry out, Abba, Father. When we settle that reality that we are sons and daughters, when we remember where we are and who we are, Suddenly, we have access to the banquet, banquet table of God's gifts and God's provision and able to operate from the overflow of our position in Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the outermost parts of the world, bringing this into land. Acts chapter 19, don't turn there, is an incredible passage of Scripture which describes Paul having left Jerusalem. Jerusalem has, has been turned upside down because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And now Paul is beginning to preach the gospel elsewhere. And he goes to the city called Ephesus, and then he comes across what he believes to be some disciples, and he asks them this question in verse 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now think about that question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? By implication, it's possible to believe without receiving the Holy Spirit. We went to LA uh, uh, two weeks ago. Did you go to Disneyland when you went to LA? No. We went to LA without going to Disneyland. That's what Paul is asking. Not Disneyland in LA, but he's asking, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's possible to believe in Jesus, to be born again by the work of the Spirit, but not to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as a subsequent event. And that's what Paul is getting at. He finds out that they hadn't even received the gospel. He preaches the gospel. He baptizes them in water. And in verse 6, while they are still dripping from the water, it says this. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. You see, the subsequent outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 19 goes on to describe how Ephesus and beyond were turned upside down by the power of the gospel. I want to say again what I said earlier. We cannot hope 
to see a dying world come to life through a lifeless or powerless gospel. We need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the world. I am convinced that Exodus chapter 33 tells us God's way for every situation that we face. God invites Moses to ask him anything. And Moses says, God, would you teach me your ways? And the father immediately responds with this, with this statement. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Personally, I believe that to be God's way for every situation we face. In a relationship that you're in right now, God's way for that relationship is His presence to go with you and to give you rest. That business deal that you're trying to, trying to secure, God's way for that business deal is for His presence to go with you and to give you rest. We are trusting as a church to find a building. We went to look at a killer building last week. I wish I could tell you more, but I can't because it's not even close to being secure and it might not even come, come to pass. But God's way for us finding a building is His presence going with us and giving us rest. So I want to ask you today, perhaps you're visiting for the first time, or maybe you've come a few weeks, and, but you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You haven't yet met Jesus. You haven't yet come to know Jesus. You haven't received Jesus into your heart. I want to say to you, God's will for your life, God's way for your life, is for His presence to go with you as you receive the person of Jesus and for you to find that place of rest in Him. Maybe you're here today and you have given your life to Jesus and you are a child of God, but you have never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've never experienced what it means to, 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 to have that absolute assurance that you are a son or a daughter of the Lord Most High. And I want to say to you, if that's for you, God's will, God's desire, God's way for your life is for God's presence to go with you and to lead you into a place of rest. For many of us here, we are sons and daughters of God and we have been filled with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But for some of us, we have maybe run dry. And the experience of God's outpouring is not something that is a daily occurrence as, as I spoke of earlier. You know, when I go to, we have a fireplace in, 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 our, in, our, in our house. And, and in the winter, when I go to, to start a fire, the first thing I have to do is I have to remove the ashes from yesterday's fire. You see, ashes remind us of something that once happened, but they're not a current testimony to what is happening. Before we can start a new fire, we have to remove the ashes from the old fire. And some of us in our hearts, we, we, we carry the, the ashes, the remembrance of what God did once, but not what God is doing currently. 
I want to trust that we can pray for some of you today. You've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you feel like God is saying there is more. Fresh fire, fresh wind, fresh rain. You've got to be comfortable with mixed metaphors when we talk about the Holy Spirit. The dove falling on high, the oil of gladness coming upon you. We're going to close with this. John chapter 7. Those three categories of people. Never received Jesus. You've received Jesus, but you want to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You've received Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but you want to be filled and refreshed again. All three of those people, I want you to listen to this verse. John chapter 7, verse 37. Jesus tells us what to do. If anyone is thirsty, that's the only prerequisite. That's the only requirement. Thirst. Are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty for the presence of God? Are you thirsty for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, this is what we ought to do. Let him come to me. There might be people in a few moments who might lay hands on you. There might be people you, that you specifically ask to gather around and to pray. We don't go to a person to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit or to receive the outpouring of God. We don't go to a preacher or a leader or a friend. They help. We go to Jesus. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink Whoever believes in me, friends, this has to be something done by faith. There has to be just a seed or a mustard seed of faith that says, Lord, I don't fully understand this. I don't fully comprehend this, but I believe it is something that you want to give me. If anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. God wants to release not just a little drink so that you can quench your thirst. God wants to release streams of living water. So I'm going to ask that we be brave this morning because I would love for us as an eldership team and as a deacon team and, and some of the ministry team people to, to come and to, be, and to physically pray for some of you, to lay hands on you and to trust that God would move in great power. I'm going to ask that you have never given your heart to Jesus. And you're saying, today, Steve, I want to surrender my heart to Jesus. I want to receive him as my Lord and King. I'm going to be standing down here to, to my left, to your right. I would love for you to come up to me, and I would love to pray, pray specifically for you. If you are here today, and you either have never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or you are saying, I am thirsty for more of God. I am thirsty for his power. Either one of those two categories, I'm going to ask that you stand right now. And I would love to ask some of our leaders to gather around you and to begin to pray for a release of the Holy Spirit. All right, quickly, guys. Uh, Chris, Nancy, can I ask you guys to... Uh, anyone else on the ministry team or deacons? Can you just gather around? Just raise your hand if you are standing to receive prayer this morning. Make sure, please, that people are, are being prayed for. If you guys can go around there, lay hands on them, and ask for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to come. Just raise your hands, please, so we make sure everyone has got someone. Uh, Chris, you want to pray for, for Jeff over there? Thanks. Someone at the back. You guys got people to pray for? People to pray for? Uh, at the back as well, uh, Chris Q, can I ask you to go to the back and pray for Philip? I think Philip's got his hand up there at the back. 
Anyone else? Has everyone else got someone to pray for? Nancy? Nancy Heche. Uh, Deborah's going to come and pray for you, Nancy. All right. Can I ask you guys, just if you're seated, just take two minutes just to begin to pray. You don't have to stand up and pray, but just look around the room and pray for God, for, for God to touch these people. If you are standing and receiving prayer, can I ask that you just begin to minister over these folk? Ask God for, to, to ask for God to release his power. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that it is not earned or not deserved. Thank you, Lord God, that it is given freely because of our relationship with you, Heavenly Father. Thank you that we are sons and daughters of yours. And we open our hearts, not even, Lord, not just those who are standing, but every one of us. We open our hearts this morning and we say, Father, would you fill us? Would you refresh us? Lord, we cannot go one day without knowing your closeness and your nearness. We cannot do one thing without knowing your very presence in our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, let your anointing fall. Let your anointing fall. Equip us, Lord God. Equip us to be husbands and wives. Equip us to be friends. Equip us to be leaders in our community. Equip us to be parents that are raising our children in the best way we know how. Equip us to be those that would take the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, out into the places of work, out into the city streets. Equip us, Lord God, for the seasons that are before us, the challenges that we face, the seasons of victory and refreshing. Holy Spirit, fall upon us, we ask in Jesus' name. Fall upon us, we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that your word simply says, come to me. Anyone who comes to me will never go hungry. Anyone who believes in me will never be thirsty. Thank you for that promise in Jesus' name.